We've sat and we're walking, so sit, stand and walk. But we sit with Christ. We rest in Christ. Earlier in Ephesians, it talks about we are seated in the heavenlies. Christ is seated. We're seated together with him. And we are seated in that place. And that is where our strength comes from. That's where our life comes from. That's where we need to be. Unless we're seated with Christ, unless we're having fellowship with Christ, then we are not able to walk with him unless we're resting in him, in all that he's done. He alone saves. He keeps. So sit and acknowledge that and understand that. From the understanding of that, you're helped to live, but it's not just in the understanding of that, it's for the sure understanding, because that's the way in which the Spirit speaks to us when we come to Christ, as it, and as it were, we feed from him. We sit at his feet, we feed from him, we're in constant fellowship with him, and so as we're walking, we are still, as it were, seated with Christ in constant fellowship with Christ. It's where we need to be experientially, seated with Christ in heaven. From the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. When we come to faith in him, there is nothing to add. Salvation has been won and so we need to rest in that place. We don't add to that, as Galatians teaches us, works. We don't get saved and then do works as well and then 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 have heaven it's we are seated with Christ in heaven and then we walk we are seated with Christ in heaven in that experiential place in that place of fellowship with him we don't do works to earn heaven heaven is where we are and so we can joyfully do those things that Christ has given us to do not do those things that Christ has given us to do because we're guilty but do them out of a heart of love and because we share the character of Christ and we share the character of Christ because we're seated with him we know him we know God you know God as your father you know God to be as Abraham was a friend of God you know God you know him as a child and that's where you start and as you rest in him, remember, it was on the sixth day that man was created and then he rested. He entered the rest of the Lord. God created the world in six days and entered rest. But man was created on the last day and immediately entered the rest. We've got to immediately enter the rest of the Lord. And from there, we have our life. That's your uh, uh, interaction with heaven, as it were, on earth. Your new life is life in the spirit, Christ in you. But you're in this earth to live out that life, of the life that you are living within the heavenlies. That's the place of your home. That's the place where you are experienced daily renewing. Look at Jesus in Philippians 2. He left heaven uh, 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 and... Um, I'm reading through it. Um, the, have this mind among you, in, from verse 5, in chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, did now not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Look at Jesus, he left heaven. He being truly God, Truly God and truly man, one hand on God, one hand on man. There's a verse in Job that talks about it. Who can put a hand on God and a hand on man? Job's crying out through the generations. Who can do it? 
Who can stand between God and man? Job cries out. But he's Jesus. He stands between God and man. One on God, one on man. And he brings them both together, making this uh, 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 reconciliation with God. Christ did it. He left heaven. So he brings us to heaven. God incarnate, living heaven's ways here on earth in himself, living heaven's teachings, living heaven's holiness amongst us. And you sit with him. You sit with him. You sit with heaven's one. You sit with the one that is seated in the heavens. That's where you need to be all the time. So be practical. How then do we walk? So now we're seated with Christ. We're feeding from Christ. And he expects us to walk. In 4, 1 to 2, which Joel read, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then coming on to verse 17, now this I say to you, this I say and testify to testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So that's what you were. You walked wrongly in this world, and now you have to walk in a different way. And then in verse 23, we have, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he, he, we're not going through those verses where he talks about what it meant to be in the world, but you were in the world before you came to trust in Christ. You might still be in the world. You might be in a Christian place, but not really in Christ. You might not have the mind of Christ. You not, might be renewed by him. You might be just trying by your own efforts, to do a lot of good things because that's the teaching of your church and it's a heavy burden to you. It's too much for you. You can't do it. You can't complete it. You can't bring it to pass. There's something lacking. Well, it's because you're not seated with Christ. You're not with him. You're not enjoying the presence of Christ. You're not uh, uh, seeing all that is good in him and longing to bring all that is good in him back to you. So you've got to walk and you've got to walk with a new attitude. You know, I always used to... Uh, it'd be interesting at one time. When, 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 when English people take photos, I don't know why it is when you take photos. I mean, there's photos everywhere now. Nobody has photo albums. They all just push it into the cloud or something like that, you know. But we used to have photo albums and they, they used to be pictures, real pictures that we printed out. Did you know that? That's probably, you know, the good old days. They're antiques now, probably. But anyway, there were these pictures that we printed out on shiny paper. And, <laughs> you, you know them, dear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, English people, they used to try to make you smile for the pictures, children. I mean, I've got a picture of myself as a young child with a sort of a half smile on. And my mother always used to tell me, she said, the cameraman, to get you to smile, she went to a professional photographer, he said, he had to jump through hoops, you just not, would not smile. You see, when I was born, I was born with a frown on my face. Some people smile, I was born with a frown. If I have a half a frown, that means I'm smiling, you know. My forehead was wrinkled. It was like that. That's how I came out, and it's how I'm going to go. <laughs> it's just the way it is, you know. Uh, uh, but, and, and they used to try to get you to smile. They wanted this cheesy grin, you know, say cheese and things like that, you know. Uh, 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 so the, the new one is someone that says, say, hey, okay, so hey, as soon as the picture's about to be taken, you know. And, 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 uh, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but Turkish children, when they, took their pictures, 
they wanted their children to show attitude, to show almost like a sternness, like, like I'm going to conquer the world sort of a look. I don't know how to put that look on. I've never had one. But, you know, it was like this, this serious look where they're staring at the camera and I'm going to really go through life with power sort of thing. They wanted attitude in their picture. They wanted attitude in their picture. Set your attitude straight. Set your attitudes from heaven, not from the world. The world exalts attitudes of greed and avarice and maybe the perfect body and the programs that you see. And it brings attitudes onto you of success and attitudes that you take hold of without even thinking about it, of arrogance and even rudeness and pride and being more important than other people. Consider others to be better than yourselves. It's not something that the world thinks is much of a lesson to learn. In humility, think of others better than yourself so you take on an attitude of heaven. And that is laughed at by the world, but it is extremely powerful and extremely true. So set your attitude to humility because that's what Christ set his attitude as. And he stepped down into this world to save you. So there's no arrogance or haughtiness or pride or greed. So walk as to exercise humility. Practice humility. If you're not, then Christ will humble you. Then you will be a genuine person. You will be able to be genuine and your friendship's genuine and your attitude to other people genuine and everything like that. You become genuine when you take on the attitude of humility and then you will be like your father who is in heaven that's what we're aiming for so I remind you that in your own power you will revert to pride it will come in it will inwardly destroy you it will even do that whilst you're in the church because you're doing, trying to do right things and righteous things and then you start to criticise others for not being as righteous as you and not doing the right things that you know how to do and again you've reverted back to yourself you're not seated with Christ in heaven you are reverting to priding yourself in what you're able to do or not able to do as you have learned so it's only while sitting with Christ whilst Christ's spirit is within you that you can have this confident Humility that is so important. And so you can, when Christ's spirit is in you, you can want to do that which was right and have the power to do that which is right. But that doesn't come from yourself. It only comes from Christ. You can't get hold of it. Not by your own efforts. It can only come into you through the spirit of God in your hearts because you are sinful. So stop and ask yourself, what am I like? What are you like? What do you seek? What's your attitude? Measure your attitudes. Do you seek humility and meekness? Or do you seek other things? Do you seek yourself above all things? Do you become rude when you're out of here? You know, you're very nice to everybody else in here, but outside when you're not with other believers and Christians in your workplace or something like that, do you become rude and self-seeking? Or put it another way, what do other people think you're like? What do others think I'm like? 
when I interact with them. Moses walked for 40 years in the desert before he lost his pride and came to humility. You see, God wasn't bothered too much about the time. He was bothered about the relationship and sitting with him. He's bothered about dealing with you on every point in your life that is not Christ-like, not self-seeking, Christ-exalting, church-serving. That's what Moses became. Giving himself for the people of God under Christ. Abraham let Lot choose the best place to feed his sheep, the best place to make money, the best place to be. You choose. It's not for me. I'll be happy with what God chooses. Will you be happy with what God chooses, even if it is to your disadvantage? Abraham got to that point where he was happy for that. God's choice, more than anything else, is what he wanted. Not your ambitions, not yours, but God's. Have you come to the place where you're not just with platitudes praying that, praying that God would give you the ambitions that he wants you to have, but actually trying to force God to bless the ambitions that you want? It won't work. He never is a little God in your hands. He is God over all. So David didn't take the life of Saul. Do you remember that one? He could have. People said, look, God's given him into your hands. Take Saul's life. He's trying to kill you. God's done this. He said, no, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. We'll not do it. There was some humility and there was some meekness in him. And that's then that God could use him to be a leader amongst his people. So how much will you lose by not taking on the attitude of humility with Christ. Paul knew how to be happy in great need or in great abundance. It didn't matter to him whatsoever. Christ mattered to him. So think, rethink, be renewed in mind. Think well. Think based on truth. The Christian understands. The Christian thinks. They understand the world they're living in. They understand why they live the way they do and for what reason. And they understand the promises of God and the outcome. So think. Uh, 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 uh. So this is the truth. He says to them earlier on in Ephesians, we looked at it last time, you're self-seeking, you're proud, in your natural state, you're self-righteous, you're a sinner, he puts it in that way. You lie to yourself and to others. You can't even see the right way. You have a bias. You're greedy, you're arrogant, you gossip, and you hold grudges. You're a pretty sad picture, really, in the sight of heaven. You're a pretty sad picture. But, you see, that's a problem yet. He says, you were, it's in the past. You were like that. You're not like that anymore. You were like that, but you can't be like that anymore because you're seated with Christ. You can't. You can't be seated with Christ and be like that anymore. That has to go. It has to be brought to the light. It has to be washed out of you. It has to be cleaned. You were, past tense. This is what you were like. Uh, although the smell of some of that past life might hold on to you, it sometimes often does, and that, we see it in ourselves, but you've been washed in the cleanest of clean. You've been washed in the purest of pure, You've been washed in the holiest of holy. You've been washed in the lifeblood of Jesus. You've been cleaned. Every single stain of that sin has been taken away. And though you might think sometimes within yourself, you occasionally catch the smell of it, it is gone in God's eyes. It is gone and you need to see it as gone and be happy that it's gone. And then you can be 
uh, expelled, as it were, catapulted into a life of walking in this world with Christ. You are made new. You are raised to newness of life. You are seated with Christ and he did it all. It's not down to you. It's not down to your efforts. It's not down to your ability to grab hold of faith. Faith is a gift. It's something that he works in your heart. And so you have a confidence, a holy confidence, a meek confidence, a humble confidence. That's what you have as a believer. You're not cowed down by the world. You have this confidence. But it's a godly confidence. You walk in humbleness. And 5.2, we go to the next bit that Joel read out, 5.2, and walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? At the end, you remember? Do you love me? After Peter had failed, and he said, feed my lambs. Walk in love. Love other believers. Love them and walk together with them. Do you love others who have the Spirit of Christ in them? How can you love Christ and not others that have the Spirit of Christ in them? Believers, you should have a special, not self-seeking, love for them. You have a love for them. That's what uh, walking with Christ is. Walking with other believers, the ones who are not mature, the ones who are new believers, the ones who are a little bit messy, the ones who need cleaning. It's a, it's, you know, a baby is a joy, but it's a dirty joy. They need cleaning and they can't clean themselves. And uh, 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 many men won't go near them sometimes. And I understand that. They're messy. And some believers are messy and they've got sharp edges and they're not easy to love and they're not easy to like. And we're called to love them. Mothers and fathers, do they stop loving their babies because they're dirty and messy? Does God stop loving you because you're dirty and messy? No, never, ever. And you're called to the same work. So new believers, very often and sometimes older believers, are messy and you're called to love them. Being with God's people, his family, loving them is part of the package. It's not for you to suddenly get cross with somebody and not come along to church because you don't like that person because they said something wrong to you. It's not your choice to do that. Being with God's people and his family, loving them is a part of the package. It goes with the goods. You don't buy a mobile phone without a charger. It doesn't work. They give you one. It comes all together. As you come to Christ, you forgive because God forgives and you're seated with him in the heavenlies and that forgiveness is in your nature and so you forgive but you also love. So walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you can't love Jesus and not love his family. You just can't do it. Okay, uh, 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 uh. you might say, well, look, I just can't love that person. They're just so different in nature to me and, and, and their thinking's all wrong and, and, and they've really not, and they've rubbed me up. They've rubbed me up just the wrong way. They're so proud and they've not learned yet and they've never learned or they're so this and every time they speak to me they're having a go at me and they're really making me very frustrated and I just don't like them. I just really don't like them. I can't love them really. I ask God, please give me a love for that person. He doesn't do it. 
I'm left, I, you know, what do you do with that? I'll say, so I'll put up with them. I'll, I'll, I'll go every day and I'll pray, God, please me, give me a love of that person. It still doesn't seem to happen sometimes. But no, the issue is that you need to be like Jesus. You need to ask, not necessarily for love for that person, but you need to say, give me Christ. When Christ is in you, then you love that person. When Christ, the love of Christ is in you, because Christ loved that person. He brought them to himself, and so the Spirit of Christ in you suddenly overcomes and gives you that love for them. Yeah, pray that you might have love for them. I'm not saying don't pray that. But ask for Christ. Because thank God Jesus loves you over and over again, no matter how miserable you are. Because you're not always that great. Because we think we're really great, but we're really not. So think, ask yourself, am I practicing messy love? Are you really doing it? Go back home afterwards and say, am I really practicing messy love? Do I really love? Who is the person that's getting at me that I don't love and I'm not loving them? Am I really actively practicing love? He cleanses you by the washing of his word. And so feed on his word so we can cleanse others in the same way. Then going on to verse 8 of chapter 5. For at one time you were darkness and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they are in secret. Walk in light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good. So we know that Christ is the light of the world. And we're seated in heaven with Christ who is the light of the world. And that light shines on us and shows our wrong and our badness. So all of a sudden we've shown that we've, what, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So we all of a sudden start to like what is good and right and true. Even though we're not totally good and right and true. But we start to be drawn towards it and love it and want it. And so we're to walk loving all that is good and right and true, not bothered about the outcome of holding to that which is good and right and true. So very often it might work out like this, that you're in business and all of a sudden, because uh, that your work and you're responsible to it, you might be tempted to lie or you might be tempted to exaggerate or you might be tempted to do something wrong. And you say, well, I can't help it. I can't get out of it because this is the world and I've got to do it. And the old sudden Jesus said, no, you're seated with me. It's me that you're seated with. It's not the world. You do what is right and good and true. And if you lose your job, well, that's in his hands. That's a sad thing. You're pressured not to. But you're with Christ, you see, for eternity, not just for a short period of time. So the light gives you power. Christ is the light of the world. Don't walk in ignorance, in darkness, in not understanding. Have your understanding from how God says you are and how God says the world is. Because otherwise, our understanding gets twisted by our own desires. Get your understanding from the word of God. Listen to him. Live it's heaven's children. Walk in love. You are a child of heaven. You are seated with Christ. Live heaven's life here on earth, basically. That's what it's saying. Live heaven's life here on earth. Walk around. Wander around. Stroll around. Order your life. Walk in love. Walk in humility. Walk in fellowship. Walk as children of the light. And as you relate to God, so as you walk with Jesus, so that shows in how you walk with others. It's got to have a show. It's got to be seen. It can't be not seen. It's not hidden. Your life in the heavenly shows up on earth. So time, you know, is linear. You've got a start and an end. Your life starts one day and it ends one day. Life goes on like that. But 
you are constantly outside of time having fellowship with the Father. He sees your life at the beginning and the end and everything that takes place in the middle and he is working in you. He's working in you. And that's what shows he is divine, the heavenly walk that you now live, which is totally opposed to the world. So walk in holiness and love in this messy, sin-saturated, evil world. But there is power to do that from him. You've been saved from uh, 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 yourself. So you immerse yourself in Jesus Christ. Learn from me, he says. My yoke's easy and my burden's light. Be overwhelmed by him. Be conquered by him. Know him fully and completely. Be lost in his love for you. And then walk. Walk at work. Walk in school. Walk in the church. Walk in love. Walk in humility. Walk in obedience. Because you can do that because Christ is in you. Parents learn from Christ. Children learn from Christ. Ephesians talks about that. Then love and live for Christ. Heeding all that he talked and did. Are you patient? How self-centered are you? How much do you care for the hurting and love the rejected? How much do you love truth? How much do you uh, uh, let Christ in and put away falsehood? If you sit with Christ, you will not walk in falsehood. You can't do it. You'll hate it. Forgiveness, if you're not forgiving, you'll feel very uncomfortable. You still hold on to jealous envies of the world and you see it all around you and you want to get hold of the same thing. But when you're seated with Christ, those envies drop away. You don't want them anymore. The world doesn't seem all that bright anymore. It loses its interest for you as you're walking with Christ. Oh, are you still in that place where you've learned certain things throughout your childhood to do with the church and you tick all the boxes? I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I try not to lie, I do this and I do the other and I come out at the end of the day saying, yes, I've ticked all the boxes, the standards. And then, as we said before, you start judging others and pride comes in and you can't stop it. The only way you can really handle it is to be seated with Christ, to know Christ, to be born again, to have the Spirit of Christ in you. Uh, I'm not going to read it to you, because, because, uh, 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 but in Matthew, actually I might do, I've just looked at the clock and I can keep you a little bit longer. In Matthew chapter 5, we've got the Sermon on the Mount, okay? If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to it, uh, we've got this amazing thing, uh, uh, and I'm just going to chirp. Look from uh, verse 38. It talks about retaliation here, but there are other things as well. But you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And you say, well, they're sort of nice words, aren't they? But those are sort of uh, radical. And when I sort of say these sometimes to Muslims, you see, those words there. You know, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. And if someone wants your jacket, give him your shirt as well or whatever. And um, 
uh, um, forces you to go one mile, go two mile, and it's a principle. And you say, well, it just doesn't work out. And they'll say, it's not practical, you can't do that. It does not work in this world. You can't do it. So that I've got to reject the teachings of children, Jesus because this is just not practical. And we don't give it too much thought. But you see, these are heaven's principles. They're not the world's principles. Only Jesus could teach them because only Jesus came from heaven. They actually shout out that Jesus is a Christ because no person could ever think of these. But only sinners that have been changed and indwelt by the Spirit of heaven, by God the Son, can actually start to look at these and say, look, if someone slaps you on one cheek, is it right for that to take place? No, it's not. It's not right for someone to slap you. But it's life that we're looking at, not what is right and what is wrong. It's life. Do you have life from God? That's the issue in this messy world. He alone can change you. You say, I can't walk like that. I can't live like that. It's too much. But when you've got heaven in your heart, that's the only way in which you want to live. It's the only way in which you see life as worth living. Christ in you, the hope of glory. True life is about being alive. It's not about you. It's not about your ideas. It's not about your opinions. How many times do we get fed up when people say, well, nobody's listened to my opinion and nobody's listened to my ideas? It's not about you. It's, it's not about waiting for you to change the world. You can do it. It's not about you changing the world. You just can't do it. You can only change the world for the worst, really. The only way that you can change the world is to be indwelled by Christ. It's about his teaching and his wisdom and his ideas. And it's about him. And the revealed wisdom of Christ is found in his world. But it's Christ in you that lives this totally other heaven life in this world. And that's what changes the world. It's not your opinions and your power. Look at Matthew's sermon. Is it right, as I say? No, it's not right for somebody to strike you. Is it right for someone to take your jacket and you to give them everything else? No, it's not right for someone to ask for your house and you give them your car as well. It doesn't work. But you are changed. Those things are just not at all important. It's life. Your answer is the cross. The sky, not the grave, is our home. I died to this world and everything in it. That's what baptism speaks about. I've died to it, I've been renewed and I've come to a new life and it's Christ's life and heaven's life and that's where I am, that's where you are. Your ambitions, your hopes and fears, as we sang, all of these go at the foot of the cross. It's not your ambitions that are at all important. Christ has ambitions for you and that's what's important and he will bring them to pass. So mature as sons, attain the likeness of Christ, be holy as Christ is holy, walk in love, in confident humility, walk with him. But you need power to do that, and you will not get power from your own inside. You can't, you're not able to, more is needed. 3 verse 20, as we go back again to Ephesians. 
3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all what they ask or think according to the power at work within us. Do you know anything of the power of God at work in you? Not the power to be successful. The power to die to yourself and your own ambitions and your own hope. The power, like Moses, to walk for 40 years in the wilderness before he knew the power, not of his own ambitions and his own strength to come against the Egyptian army. The power of God in him to work love for God and love for the people of God. Do you know that power in you? That's not the power that the world speaks about. It's the real power of Colossians 1.29. I labour also striving according to his working which works in me mightily. Who's working? Not your working. Christ's working. It's Christ's working that has to work in you mightily. Otherwise it's empty. I labour. There's a labouring but it's his working which works in me mightily. Power. Christ's work in you so you can, you sit with him. You are granted Christ's culture, heaven's culture, and you come down to this earth and you live it as Christ lived it to do his works that have been prepared for you in advance to do, not your works. You are saved to do his works. Don't get proud, which is destructive to your life, to your relationships, to all your family, to your church, everyone around you. He works in you, not you work great things. He works in you, small things or big things. It doesn't matter. To glorify him for his pleasure, the centre is always Christ and the cross and his work, not you. So there needs to be a new principle at work in you. You're a holy priesthood. You're a holy priesthood on this earth. How are you a holy priesthood on this earth? Because you're in heaven. You're seated in heaven with him. And when you learn a new language, you know, I don't know, you've probably got many more languages than I have. Uh, uh, your local languages and your, your trade language and this, that and the other. And um, But your original language that you speak, you're very comfortable with. You don't have to think about it. It's not a stress to you to speak it. You speak in your own language and you're comfortable with it. Uh, uh, and um, some people, it might be pidgin. You might be more comfortable in pidgin than you are going back to English or something like that. But there's, you, you have to work at the second language, and it's always a little bit hard work. When you go into your second language, it's always a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit troubling. It's not just as comfortable to you. Uh, uh, and and, and that's, that's usually what it is. It's hard work. And in one sense, you can say, well, to start with, we're in heaven. You know, our language is the world, and we've got used to the world. And so now we go in and we speak in heaven's language and it's some hard work. It doesn't come quite so naturally to us to be comfortable with heaven's culture, to live heaven's culture. But it should get to a place where it's the other way around, where the world becomes the uncomfortable language for us and heaven becomes the comfortable language because heaven was supposed to be our original language. It was the language of Adam, the language of God's love, the language of his humility, the language of walking with him is what should become our first language, our comfortable language. But we need to give ourselves to that. Used to Christ culture. Heaven needs to be your first language. You need to practice Christ's ways. So you're not confident. You're unsure. You can't keep it up. You can't do it. It's too much for me. It's too big a thing. It's too big a deal. Let me just not start. I can't do it. I can't bring it bring about. I can't succeed as a believer. I can't be as holy as I need to be. I keep looking at Christ and I can't make it out. The issue is not your confidence. 
The issue is Christ's confidence. The issue is Christ's confidence. Christ is confident that his power in you enables you to walk. He is confident, not in your abilities, but his ability through you. He's completely confident in that. He's put his seal on you, believer. The Spirit, have you got the seal of the Holy Spirit of God on you? He's put his seal on you. You carry his name. He's not going to let you throw it in the mud. He is confident that he can work that in you. He's got enough power to. There's wisdom to grow in grace, to grow in the knowledge of God. He's the way, the truth. He alone knows the right and the wrong. He is the tree of life. He alone can strengthen you. This, by right of creation and redemption, by right of conquest, he's conquered you and all that you are. And by the power of his resurrection that works in you, he works in you eternal life. That power. He is confident, believer, that he will work that within you to, so that you can do those works that he's prepared before for you to do, not the works that you choose whether you want to do or not. It's something that he works in you. My grace is sufficient for you, he said to Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness because it's not your power he wants to see. It's his power in you that he wants to see. He wants to see you trusting him as a child and walking with him. 5, 15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk redeeming the time, as one version puts it. Making the best use of the time. There's a time here. Don't be foolish, use the time wisely. Jesus will return. There was the wise and the foolish versions. Half had the oil ready, half ran out of oil. They were not wise, they were foolish. They weren't looking at the time. They weren't looking at it, they were messing about. They weren't making good use of the time. But God will finish that work which he has begun in you. God is not in your time. He sees the whole lot, as we said before. His time is over all. It's a finished thing. Yours is linear. His is not. He controls time. He's not governed by time. You might see steps in your life and I've gone that way holy and this little bit came in my life and then I became better as a Christian, etc., etc. But to him it's his working in you that's taking place. So he completes his work. He's finished. Philippians 1.6 He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. In the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. Confident. Have confidence that Christ will bring to completion in you. Even through all the failures that you feel. Because it's him that's doing it. For his glory and for his name. He will do it in the church. Let that be a motivation to you for holiness. To get back up again and to keep going. He can. uh, 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 He will present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Can you imagine that where he takes you and he says, this one is blameless. The work in him is finished and complete. And you say, well, it doesn't much really describe the way I feel about myself. It's not that, it's the way that he says it about you. That's what's taking place here. The farmer plants and then he waits and he harvests. And you know, sometimes... 
There are, there are two harvests that come up. The first fruits and the bigger harvest. And, and a lot of farmers try to bring their fruits out early because they get more money for them on the marketplace. If you can bring your carpuses out early, they're more expensive when they first come out because people want them early and there's not so many about. So the first fruits have this increased value. But then the first fruits and the rest of the harvest are all one. Really, they're all one. They come off the same trees and everything like that. There's a different time scale in when they're harvested, but some are better. And he wants you to be the first fruits. He wants you to be the first fruits. He doesn't want you to wait about trying to be holy later on and make a mess of it. He wants you to see what your inheritance is now and to be holy now and to seek Christ now and to live with Christ now. Not when you've become successful, but you see, because then you might have made a lot of problems for yourself. You might have got into the practice of lying. You might have taught your children how to be not holy and how to be deceptive and all sorts of things. But you say, well, wait until I've done this, that and the other, and then I'll give myself to holiness. When I've got enough money, then I can give myself to holiness. No. Be the first fruits. Be the ones with great value now. Walk, redeeming the time. Redeem the time. Now bear fruit. Now count yourself uh, uh, to know Christ. Count everything lost. Know Christ. Now learn from him. Now pray much. Now walk in newness of life. Now understand his teaching. Now get into the word. Now be the first fruits, not be the later fruits. Are you putting off holiness or are you a now believer? Walking now in heaven's lights. Are you reaching to meet Jesus? Or are you a perhaps later? I haven't got time at the moment. Some children are obedient from the start. You know that. Some children, you know, you, you just have to say to this or do that. They're obedient. They're wonderful. Some are horrendous. You know, they just... Some just really take a long time. You know... Some children are obedient from the heart. and the, uh, You know, I don't know. You need to have more than one child to understand that. Some take a long time. Which are you? Are you a long time learner with Jesus? He still loves you and he'll still deal with you. He'll still complete the work in you. It'll be a bit more of a painless, painful progress. And he won't be a first fruit, maybe. Walk redeeming the time. Paul not only walked, but he actually ran. 1 Corinthians 9.26, he talks, not aimlessly, I run the race, I press towards the prize. Have you got that holy enthusiasm where you're pressing towards the prize? Where you're running the race, where you're going to get holiness, where you're going to grab hold of understanding these things, where you're going to reach somebody for the Lord Jesus, when you're going to live in front of them in holiness, not bothered whether you lose money or gain money or this, that and the other, where you really are going to press towards that prize, no matter what it costs, without looking back. You know, as as a child, it was funny... You know, at school, maybe you didn't... You have race days, sports days, okay? You've been through sports days. And every, every child has to put... They used to have stupid things like egg and spoon race and in a sack race and things like that when you're little children, you know, not when you're bigger. And, and, and when I used to run, and it might have been eggs or something else, and, and I would always look back, you see. I would always look back because I wanted to know who was behind me. And my dad would be shouting, Don't look back! <laughs> And I would look back until there was nobody else behind me. Because you can't run very fast looking back. I was a disappointed non-winner in the races. I wasn't very good because I kept looking back to see who was behind me. 
don't look back is what Paul says. I don't, don't look back, it's pointless. Run as if you're going to win the prize. Not aimlessly. Run knowing that Christ has won it for you, so with confidence keep going. With great confidence. Because it's him and it's his work and he's doing it. And that's the great joy of seeing what Christ does within you. It's not like, look at that person they've done. Look, look, they've already done great things today. Look at what Christ has done in them. Paul always said that. He reported what Christ had done, not reported what he had done. Never reported what he'd done. Always reported what Christ has done. Look forward, look to Christ. Walk, reach, run in enthusiastic holiness. Obedience is the joy of the new believer, not the problem, because we're in heaven with Christ seated there. So we're walking, really almost running. In understanding, be men. Dear Lord God and Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We do thank you for all that we have in Christ. We do thank you for the great riches that you've won for us, for the great victory, the great confidence that we can have in you. Help us to walk. Help us to walk well. Help us to enjoy heaven and even enjoy walking in this messy world, bringing Christ to it, for you are working in us to bring about that which is perfect. We do thank you for, being, for, for, for involving us with this in one sense. We thank you for all of your many blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.